0: to Juice Guru Radio. Discover what the magic and power of juicing can do for you. And now, your host. Best-selling author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Juice Fasting.
1: Well, hello. Yes, again, welcome back to Juice Crew Radio. I'm your host, Steve. It's so great to be with you. And on today's show, we've got Victoria Moran, author of 12 books, including Maid Street Vegan, best selling Creating a Charmed Life, which is available in 30 languages, and the plant based weight loss classic, The Love Power Diet Eating for Freedom, Health, and Joy. Her new book is Good Karma Diet. She's going to be with us right after this.
0: Did you know you can make a great living in the hottest new business trend today? The Juice Guru Certification Program is the world's first online course to give you the knowledge and marketing skills to excel as a juicing coach and start making money in no time. Find out more at JuiceCoachTraining.com.
1: Well, hello and welcome back to Juice Guru Radio. I'm your host, Steve Prusak. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Sit back. Relax. Have a glass of juice, some water, some tea. Let's uh, enjoy. It's such an honor to have our next guest. It's Victoria Moran. Like I said before, she's a the author of 12 books. Her latest is The Good Karma Diet. She's cited by VegNews among the top 10 contemporary vegetarian authors. She talks about food choices, uh, karma, living in alignment with our truth. She talks about juicing, smoothies, and more. She's been on Oprah twice. She's a celebrity coach for the Physicians Committee, Committee for Responsible Medicine's 21-Day Vegan Kickstart. She's a certified holistic health counselor and hosts the T. Cullen Campbell Center for Nutrition Studies uh, Certificate in Plant-Based Nutrition. And she's here with us on Juice Guru Radio. Victoria, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, Steve. Thanks for inviting me.
1: Well, that's quite a background you've got here.
0: Well, I've been at it a while.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take us back. So what got you into uh, living a healthier life? And we'll, we'll dive deeper into that.
0: Sure. Well, I was a fat kid. And this was back in the days when kids weren't fat. You know, now we have this childhood obesity crisis. But when I was the fat kid in school, I was either the only one or, or one of two. I always found the other one <laughs> somewhere, even if we weren't in the same class. And my dad was a diet doctor and my mom worked in what they used to call reducing salons. They were kind of the precursors to health clubs and they had these various belts and rollers and things where with enough imagination and, and shimmying, you <laughs> supposedly could see great chunks of yourself float off into the stratosphere. Never happened for me. So I was fat kid. I was bad for business. My dad brought me all the diets. Whenever he would go to a medical convention, he'd come back with the latest diet. So one thing that I have known since childhood is that Benjamin Franklin missed something when he said that only one, two things in life can be said to be certain death and taxes. There are actually three, and the third is some new diet. And they're not really new, though. They just kind of of, uh, cycle back around. I remember something like Atkins in in the mid-60s before anybody had ever heard of Atkins. It had some other name, but it was the same idea. So this was really a a serious problem for me in my childhood and my adolescence and, and young adulthood. And I remember one day, I couldn't have been more than nine, getting up on a chair in my dad's private office and pulling down an old nutrition textbook that he'd had in school. Most of it I couldn't understand at all. But there was a chart, very much like the Andy chart that Dr. Furman has done that you can see today in any Whole Foods market that shows foods by nutrient density. But this was in some 1930s medical nutrition textbook. And I saw foods I'd never heard of, kale, collard greens, mustard greens, arugula, Swiss chard. I didn't know what any of this stuff was until we got down to spinach, which, of course, Popeye and I were familiar with. And so there were just all these influences as I was trying to fix myself. And that was combined with a love for animals and the idea in the back of my head that I had heard the word vegetarian. And one day I knew I would be one of them. And that's what's happened,
1: okay, so you realized you made the connection with the animals, and uh, you were looking to lose weight, so at that point, did you start to eat you, you eliminated meat from the diet?
0: Well, what happened was, yeah, I moved from Kansas City, Missouri, a very meat-centered town at that time, and now a super vegan city. I mean, if anybody's there or travels there, we've got the only Cafe Gratitude outside California. There's a vegan coffee shop where all all the wraps and the lattes and everything are vegan. I mean, it's really, Kansas City is is quite a place for being vegan now. But at that time, it was just Kansas City steak (laughs) and sides of beef. So I moved to London to go to fashion school And I was already into yoga, where I was really being pushed into the vegetarian thing. And in in London, it was fairly easy, but I still had the weight situation going on. And I had joined Weight Watchers over there. And at that time, everybody in Weight Watchers ate the same diet, basically the same food. And one of the rules was fish five times a week. And it was almost... um, magical idea that the fish five times a week will do something for you. It will make you lose weight. So I I got rid of all the land animals, but I was just so afraid that if I stopped eating fish five times a week, I would gain all the weight back and more. Well, finally, I just couldn't stand the idea of eating anybody who had had a face. I stopped eating fish, and guess what? I gained back all the weight and more it wasn't a fish deficiency though I see that now so clearly it was that I had given myself that idea so I went back to binge eating and then what happened for me was I had to have recovery from the eating disorder I had to treat it just like an alcoholic or an addict I had to recover from the inside out, and and I just so recommend if anybody's struggling with that kind of thing, uh, Overeaters Anonymous, they don't get into your food. It's all about what's going on in the inside. And then once I had real choice about what I would eat, I chose vegan. And by then, my daughter had had just been born, and I'd been, you know, vegan at home and all that stuff by then, but just finally saying, you know what? What? It's one thing to say to myself, well, yeah, of course it's immoral to take the milk from the baby calves, but, you know, when you're out someplace, it's very inconvenient. What can you do? And it's like, okay, if I wanted to lie to myself, that's one thing. I didn't want to lie to this beautiful, innocent baby anymore. So she's been vegan her whole life uh, since getting off mother's milk, and I've been vegan since then. And she today works as a stunt performer. She's the stunt double for the young Batman on Gotham <laughs> and wow. uh, we're doing great.
1: That's great. So, you grew up at a time where this wasn't exactly trendy. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of like the cool thing to eat vegan now, isn't it?
0: Right. And when I was growing up, the cool thing was processed foods. Because they were fairly new at that time. I mean, I I grew up in the 50s and 60s, and that was better living through chemistry. And for many years now, we've all known that if you're going to have orange juice, that is better than some powdered thing. But when I was a kid, they invented the powdered stuff. They had this stuff called Tang. I don't even know if they still make it. But the astronauts drank Tang. So we had this idea, ooh, that's better because that'll that'll make you strong and powerful and smart and galactic. I don't know. So, yeah, it it was very cool. Now, we didn't have the fast food that they have now. In fact, I'm one of the few people who can say that I never had a McDonald's hamburger because I don't think they had McDonald's in Kansas City before I went vegetarian, at least not in my part of town. So it wasn't so much that. It was just the idea that processed foods were kind of helping women get more liberated, you know, get them out of the house, don't have to slave over a hot stove. So that was kind of the paradigm at that time.
1: Yeah, I can remember growing up and drinking Tang and thinking that was juice. (laughs) And and speaking of which, how did you come across juice? How has that entered your life? And and, uh, what kind of results have you had with that?
0: Well, it's also fascinating, at least to me, I hope to your listeners. But when I got into this... I discovered veganism in the early 70s and at that time the source for vegan information in this country was the American Vegan Society which is still going strong and was founded by Freya Dinshaw and her husband the late Jay Dinshaw in 1960 and every time I say that I'm just taken aback because that was another era I mean 1960 I mean, that was John Kennedy was elected president that year. That was really another era of American history. And these two amazing people thought that this country needed a vegan society. But anyway, when I was introduced to this through, through the Dinshaws, they gave me a very beautiful, balanced view of being vegan. And they said there are ethical vegans and there are health vegans. But the truth is, it's all one. And it's this meeting point. And you have to be healthy or you're not going to do anything for the animals. And if you're doing this for your health, the animals don't care as long as you do it consistently and don't give up on it. So that really went into me as a very important thing. Now, Jay Dinshaw was a practitioner of natural hygiene, which a lot of people haven't heard of, but anybody who read that super big 1980s book, Fit for Life, was presented with some of the ideas of natural hygiene, uh, which had a, a guru at that time named Herbert Shelton. And they were proponents of fasting, water fasting, for illness and, and also to prevent illness. And, and they said, and I think anybody who, who knows about this sort of thing still says, that if somebody wants to fast really fast only on water, You don't do it at home. You don't do it while you're going to work. You go off someplace where somebody skilled can supervise you, and you go to bed. I mean, you literally do what is called a complete physiologic rest. The theory being, and and I believe you could say this is a proven theory. There was a lot of work done on it uh, in the former Soviet Union. There's a lot of science behind fasting that. In that state of rest, when your body doesn't have to digest food and it doesn't have to be doing exercising and working and thinking, and and they even recommend that you don't watch TV, I mean, they really recommend complete rest, incredible healing can happen very rapidly. But that's kind of like taking out your own appendix. I mean, you're not going to do that at home without supervision, So around the time that I was being introduced to that, and I actually did go to some of those fasting places, and I did some water fasts at that time, quite fascinating experiences spiritually as as well as physically. But there was also a writer around and about called Pavo Arola, and he was the only one at that time that I know of writing about juice fasting. And what was so thrilling about that was that you could go to work, and, and you could live your life. And you could be getting this wonderful cleansing, not like lie down and be wiped out, but still be detoxing really, really nicely while living your life. So those were my initial introductions, and I did both, and um, still believe in them.
1: Wow, yeah. I mean, those are the books that are sitting on my shelf that were part of my uh, research for my books. and. And amazing! So you were actually, as they were coming out, you were following these these new, what was new then? These new protocols of, of doing a juice fast.
0: Yeah, it was um, something that I think had been done in Europe in some of the uh, the healing clinics. I think of Dr. Bircher Benner and how he invented muesli as basically a vehicle for fruit. <laughs> so that if people had the raw oats, they they would eat the berries and and the other fruits uh, with it, and then lots of of juices and and water. And then I also read a lot of those really old books about people who had cured themselves of cancer and and other illnesses with juices, mono diets. Uh, There was a woman named Joanna Brandt who had cured herself of breast cancer on a grape diet back in the 1920s. There was a a raw food restaurant that I read about that had been opened in Los Angeles in 1917. And I think it was called Euphoria or I don't don't know. These names that they used to use back in those days were so kind of, um, um, I don't know, different from the kinds of words that we'd use now. But this does have a history. You know, Kellogg and and Troll and and Graham and, and some of these, physicians, and and health proponents. I mean, I love reading the history that goes back way before me. Like, I remember reading that Sylvester Graham was so popular that the butchers and the bakers got together to join forces and be sure that he could not find a venue for speaking in Boston in 1830 because they were so worried that he would put them all out of business.
1: So... What led you to the point – I mean, you started coming out with some books like the, the Creating a Charm Life, which was really about motivation. So how does it all tie together for you with your messaging and, and how you inspire people? My
0: very first book was about veganism, and it was my college thesis. I went to college late. I went to England uh, right out of high school. and and studied fashion, and that turned out not to be my my life's work. Certainly still an interest, vegan fashion is just so much fun. Um, But I'd always been writing. I started writing for teen magazines when I was 14. I went to all the press conferences of the big rock groups at that time from the Beatles on down. And so I'd always been writing. And then when I finally had the chance to go to school when I was 27, I didn't want to study journalism or English. I'd been doing that my whole life. So I majored in comparative religions. I figured if Einstein said, I want to know God's thoughts, the rest is commentary, then that was good enough for me. And I earned a fellowship through that program to do foreign study. And I went to the UK to study vegans because they were there were more of them than there were here because the vegan society had started in London in 1944 and it was also just a smaller landmass so i could get around and and interview a lot of vegans and a lot of vegans who had been around in those very early days so that was my my paper for for the the project my undergraduate thesis and uh, the american vegan society serialized it, and they took a while, <laughs> they took a couple of years to do that, and then a wonderful, wonderful gentleman named John Wynn Tyson, who was in England and really big in the vegetarian and animal rights movement there, he's, he's still alive, sweet, wonderful man, I think he's 87 now, but he contacted me and said that he would act as an agent and he would get me a publisher because this work needed to be published So in 1985, Compassion, the Ultimate Ethic, and Exploration of Veganism was published by a UK publisher, and I believe it was the first book on vegan philosophy and practice ever to come from an actual publishing house. Not that anybody was interested at that time. You know, the mid-80s veganism was not a big deal, but, you know, some people bought it. And I had a book under my belt. And then when I met Patty Brightman, my my first literary agent, and a lot of people know her because she's also a writer. She is one of the writers of Never Too Late to Go Vegan. Uh, she wrote with Carol J. Adams, uh, How to Eat Like a Vegetarian, Even if You Never Want to Be One. But she's also a very successful literary agent. And I met her at a vegan conference in Northern California. She had read my book. She was one of the people who had read Compassion, the Ultimate Ethic. And that just got me started. So with her, I did the Love Powered Diet, the very first uh, edition of that. It's had three lives, most recently 2009, so it's still out there. And that's about overcoming food addiction and compulsive eating. And then I, I just thought, okay. I've written about veganism and I've written about how to overcome a a weight issue or a food addiction issue as as a vegan and with the interchange and all that. So I think I'm just going to expand out and use some of this degree that I've got and start writing more motivational kinds of books and spiritual kinds of books. So I went out into the world and for many years, that was what I did. It was those books that I was on Oprah with and the Today Show and uh, just, you know, I was out there in the world doing a lot of that and still vegan and still very committed as a vegan, but not really writing about it except for kind of little hints, you know, here and there in, in those books. And then... uh a few years ago, I was at a, a PETA fundraiser, and they were showing footage. And you know, we've all seen all the stuff, you know, what humans do to animals. And I've been seeing it for 40 years, but that night, my heart was really, really open. It's just like, oh gosh, I want to help. And coming home that night in the subway, it was almost like it was dictation. It's like, well, here's what you need to do to help. Your next book needs to be called Main Street Vegan, and it needs to have 40 little chapters and a recipe at the end of each one. So that was my 2012 book, which has spawned so many other things. And uh, then The Good Karma Diet is kind of its sequel, and I think there's going to be a cookbook coming after this. So I'm back home. Back home, not only as a vegan person, but a vegan professional.
1: Fascinating. You are really fascinating. (laughs) So if we could talk about uh, the the creating a charm life. So if we could break down what are what was uh, some of those keys that our audience could take home to uh, start improving their lives? I mean, because we talk here about food and, and juicing and green smoothies and things. But what are some of the other things we need for balance?
0: Well, there's all sorts of ways that we need to just be kinder to ourselves than others. And being vegan is so great and eating good, healthy food is so great because then you have cleaner blood and a clearer brain. So it's easier to be a decent person than if you're eating a lot of junk food. But some of the other ideas, like in in Creating a Charmed Life, which, which is my biggest book, I was really blessed with that book. It's in 30 languages, and it sold a couple hundred thousand copies. I wish I could say that for every book, but that one was kind of blessed. And one of the ideas that I have in there that I think is actually unique, you know, when you write these kinds of books, there's a lot of taking truths that everybody knows about and just putting a different spin on them but i think this one is unique and it's called play your free square and that is to look at your life the way you would look at a bingo card and in the middle of that bingo card there is a free square nobody has to pay for it nobody has to use any strategy to get a free square everybody has one But nobody appreciates it. Nobody in St. Anthony's bingo hall is jumping up and down saying, yes, I got the free square because everybody has one. And I believe that everybody has one in life. And that means there's something that just comes easily to us. And maybe it's a, a gift or a talent, but sometimes it's just this little thing that we don't even notice, but not everybody has it. So, for example, my daughter has had one for money from the time she was a little girl, even when I was a single mom and we were kind of living on imagination, I could say to her sometimes, "Honey, do you have a ten dollar bill somewhere?" and she always did <laughs> I don't know where she got it um, but and you know, and now she and her husband are both young actors, and they ought to be starving because isn't that what artists do, but no they they own this amazing, beautiful little condo in Manhattan with a yard. Nobody has a yard in Manhattan. I don't (laughs) think Donald Trump has a yard in Manhattan. So that's her free square, and mine is meeting people. It's just uncanny. The people that I have met on buses and in elevators, I meet helpful people, interesting people, famous people. It's just a thing that I didn't ask for and I didn't work for, It's just something that I have. And what happens when you find out what your free square is, you can use that as kind of a stepping stone to get to some of these things that are more difficult or or, um, intimidating to you. So I like that one a lot.
1: Hi, this is Jay Cordish, the father of juicing. Juicing helped me get rid of cancer in my early 20s, and here I am in my 90s feeling fantastic. I want to invite you to join me in our School of Juicing. This online program features award-winning videos, audio books, and CDs to inspire and educate you on how juicing can change your life too. Check out our site at schoolofjuicing.com. Start living healthy and increase your energy today. Visit
0: schoolofjuicing.com to find out more. That's SchoolofJuicing.com,
1: Juice Guru Radio. You're listening to Victoria Moran right here on Juice Guru Radio. Her website www.mainstreetvegan.net. You can find out more about her work there and her books, and uh, a lot of fun here on the show. So uh, let's let's uh, let's talk about the new book, Victoria. So, what is a good karma diet?
0: A good karma diet is a kind and healthy way of eating, in a nutshell. So certainly, if everybody became a junk food vegan, just there was this big change of heart, and within, let's say, a five-year period, the entire planet became vegan, eating all kinds of processed foods. You know what? The world would be so much better, but I don't know how much healthier everybody would be. So if you combine the kindness of going vegan with the good sense of eating bright, fresh, colorful foods, plenty of raw foods, juices, lots of greens. I tell my people you want your your plate and your shopping cart to look like a Christmas tree, mostly green with splashes of other bright colors. So if everybody did that, The whole world would change and you know what it doesn't even take everybody because if one person does that they're going to do some great good in the world and also be a lot happier and healthier themselves
1: Yeah, because our audience come we some of us are eating standard american diets some of us are eating vegetarian some of us are eating raw vegan Uh, where do we find the balance
0: well i think you have to go with what makes sense to you today and the ethical vegan in me just wants to say, everybody be vegan now. Just, just you know, just go watch a video, see how bad it is for the animals, or, or watch Cowspiracy, see how bad it is for the planet, and just change, okay? But that was not my path. I wish it had been. It took me years, as I explained. Now, I hope it doesn't take people years now. It is a lot easier. There's so much more known. Um, there's more food available I mean, when I started out, not only could you not buy non-dairy milk in the grocery store, you had to order soy powder from this guy in Ohio who sent it out in a plastic bag and you just had to hope it was soy powder and not talcum. I mean, it was rough. So it is easier now and I hope that the path is shorter. But nobody can do anything that doesn't make sense to them today. So any step, I think, that a person takes in this direction is a fabulous step. And one of the things that so fascinates me about the juicing movement, which is really its own movement, not necessarily always part of the vegan movement or the organic movement or anything else. It's its own juicing movement. And one thing that is so terrific there is that people can come in exactly where they are and add juice. And so often with some of these other things, we're talking about what we're going to take out. But when you add juice, then some other stuff is going to fall away anyway. One of the magical things I've found about juice is that it changes you at the desire level. It changes what you want to eat. So if at 3 in the afternoon when you have that slump and you really want a great big old cookie... You instead have a juice and say to yourself, if I still want a cookie half an hour from now, I'm having the cookie, not going to feel guilty about it. But you have the juice nine times out of 10. The idea of that cookie is just going to be like, oh, why would I want that? Because something changes when you drink juice with all that life force energy.
1: I'm so glad you said that, because really, that is the intention of. Juice Guru and Juice Guru radio because for me over 20 years ago it was juicing that first opened the portal to this evolution and we feel with juicing we could reach people and bring them in and and the secret you know the secret back door the weapon is that they're going to uh, evolve in all these other areas just just as we all are.
0: Yeah, and when I first got started somebody said to me when these ideas touch you anywhere they touch you everywhere. So if somebody gets into juicing, they may never have heard of, of veganism or you know, heard mm-hmm. of it in a, in a way serious enough that they wanted to look into it. But once you start hanging out with juicers, some of them are going to be vegan. So you're going to find out about that. You're going to find out about GMOs. You're going to find out about raw food. You're going to find out about smoothies since you're juicing anyway. Of course, you're going to hear about smooth. I mean, it all kind of comes together and you don't have to take all of it or take all of it all at once. But it's so wonderful to walk in that door and behind it is so much more than you thought you'd find.
1: I love that. So your plans for the future, you talked about a possible recipe book. What have you got coming up?
0: Yeah, I think what's happening next, you know, I have this academy, Main Street Vegan Academy, which is just my baby. And now that my daughter is grown up, I have my dog and Main Street Vegan Academy that I can brag about. But uh, the Academy trains vegan lifestyle coaches and educators in a six-day in-person program in New York City with an incredible faculty, exciting field trips. It's it's just the most fun. We do this four times a year. And we've had now uh, 12 classes, and it's a boutique-sized program, about 15 people each time. But the people who have been through the program are out there doing amazing things. Some of them have restaurants. Some of them have uh, coaching practices. Some of them are writing books. Most of them are blogging. Some of them have stores. Somebody has an ice cream company. Somebody's got a vegan cowboy boot company in Dallas. I mean, it's really amazing what everybody is doing. So what I have decided is to team with one of my most energetic graduates, J.L. Fields of J.L. Goes Vegan, very popular blog, and we're going to do, with input from all the other graduates, we've got about 160 now from nine countries, and our working title is A Coach in Your Kitchen, the Official Main Street Vegan Academy Cookbook and Lifestyle Guide. So I'm going to see J.L. at the uh, Colorado Veg Fest in June, and we're going to hunker down in a hotel room and um, get the proposal made up and send it off to the publisher and hope that they'll be as excited as we are.
1: Awesome. Well, always up to incredible things. And we're going to have Victoria on one of our vegan survivor workshops coming up. So stay tuned to find out more about that. We'll be posting about that on our uh, Facebook page. And also, if you're on our newsletter from JuicecrewRadio.com, you're in the know. So stay tuned for that. Victoria, thank you so much for being here on Juicecrew radio and the work you're doing. Just last time I interviewed you, you were so far and now look where you are. It's just more and more that uh-huh. you're giving to the world. Thank you so much for all this.
0: Oh, thank you. And back at you. You do such quality work. Everything you do, is so professional and, and so well done. You're just such a credit to veganism.
1: Oh, thank you, Victoria. The website again, MainStreetVegan.net. Victoria Moran, the new book, The Good Karma Diet. You can get that at the website or on Amazon.com or in your local bookstore. I'm Steve Prusak. Thanks for being here on Juice Guru Radio. Of course, we'll be with you next time, so we'll see you then.
0: Thank you for listening to Juice Guru Radio. Find out more about us at juicegururadio.com. Until next time, get your juice on.